But I hope you had a good day. Um, we actually had a really good weekend away. The elders went away on Thursday night and Friday night, so that's the Coles, the Clarks, and the Cadmans. And we went to Underberg for two nights to pray and plan together for 2017. So it was really good just to be together in a home, to eat together, laugh together. We cried together. We had some fun together. We played some games together. And just to ask God for what He's wanting to do in the year ahead. Uh, we were together with the eldership team in Pine Town, so we had a really a big crew of people. And it was just a really good time to be together and to ask God what He's wanting to do and to trust Him for the future of this church and for what He's wanting to do in this city. But I just wanted to share a story with you guys. We, um, the three couples were staying together in this house in Underberg. And it was a bit of a rat-infested home. So Brenz and Kimmy were sleeping in this upstairs mezzanine level with this wooden roof. And I think as soon as they got into bed, they heard this... And there were these rats probably a meter ahead, just above their heads, as they were trying to go to sleep. Just scratching on the wood and making their little... Um, squeaking noises. So we went away to this rat-infested home to prepare together, and we just had this special time on Friday afternoon. We were in the lounge together, and we were praying, and we were trying to plan, and I feel like God just frustrated our planning so that we could have just a special time together. And it was funny, I'm quite a ducks-in-a-row ordered, uh, organized guy, and it was just like God frustrated that so we could actually just share our hearts and be quite vulnerable together and open up about some of our failures and insecurities and um, struggles and all of that stuff. And all of us were crying in this little circle together, even good old Chunky on the side here was wiping one or two tears from his eyes. So um, even good old tough stuff here, got, we strained one or two tears out of this rock. But um, it was just a special time of, I think, God building the team, but also ministering to one another. And we had this little joke with the Cadmans because they'd been given this incentive trip. So they were meant to be on the Rovos Rail, this five-star luxury train traveling all around, you know. And they gave that up. They forfeited that so they could come and stay in this rat-infested home with us. And we just teased them. We said, shame you guys. You've gone from Rovos to rats. And we were just saying, instead of being in this five-star luxury, enjoying this incredible trip that you'd been given as a gift, you're here crying in, the, in this rat-infested home with us. So I wanted to share that story because, one, I think it's quite funny, but also because I just wanted to honor these couples. And I think um, this church has a really wonderful eldership team. And I think the Cadmans and the Coles are really just great couples who sacrifice for this church and love the people of this church. And I think as we prayed and just spoke, it was just wonderful to see... Um, their heart for you guys and for God and for what God is doing here. So I know Shane just honored us. It feels like I'm trying to do it the other way around. But um, uh, I really think they're a really great couple and it's a really great team. But this morning we are starting an eight-week vision, mission, and cultures series called We Are Red Point Durban. And what we want to do is we've given you guys all a flyer on your chairs. Um, so I hope you all have one. If not, you should be able to find one at the information desk downstairs or we'll be able to give you one next week. But what we've done is we've put our vision, our mission, the cultures that we want to see formed in this church down there. And I'd love you to put that in your Bibles, to go home, to read it through, to read the scriptures on those flyers, to pray the stuff through, and to let God get this stuff into our hearts and our souls as a church. And um, we're trusting over the next eight weeks on Sundays and midweek and life groups and in just some events that we're going to be doing, that God would really form this stuff inside of us, that he would shape us and that we would become this church that we dream of being. 
And as an eldership team, we've kind of been praying and thinking through these ideas for about a year now, and have finally been able to articulate these things and put them down on those flyers. But I think as you read those things, particularly if you're not new here, you'll notice that none of that stuff is new. This is the same stuff we preached at our first Sunday three and a bit years ago. Those four pillars that I mentioned, I don't know if you remember if you were here back in the day, but we had some of those ugly pull-up banners that we put outside the venue that we met that were like really cheap and just broke quite easily. But those four pillars that we had on those banners are the same things that we've tried to articulate in these flyers and just flesh out a little bit more and will be the same things that we're talking about. So this isn't new. We're not changing direction. We're not adding anything to who we are or where we're going. This is just fleshing this out better so that we can understand this and that we can live this out together as a community of people. But I just wanted to share something that I feel like God spoke to me about. And this was at the end of last year. I was praying and I was asking God to speak to me for myself and for Shell and I. I was asking him to speak to me for Red Point Durban and what God was wanting to do. And I believe God gave me two pictures and a phrase. And some of you would have heard me share this before, but it was like I had this aerial view of here on a Sunday just before a service starts. And maybe some of you guys wondering a little bit late, but for the rest of you, you know what it's like before a service starts. It's people all around the room. Some are sitting down, some are standing, some are to the side, some are at the back, some are at the front. You've got the band up front ready to get going. Some are facing backwards, forwards, every different direction. Some are talking, some are quiet, some are laughing, some are a bit more somber. This whole mess of people together in this room. And I felt God show me that picture, and then I felt another picture where everyone was standing in their seats, arm at their sides, almost like an army, you know? And I felt God give me this phrase, from messiness to military formation. And that was like the thing God gave me for us as a church for this year. And that's why we're wanting to do this series on vision and mission and cultures, because I believe God is wanting to focus us. We've spent a lot of time as a church speaking about community and speaking about loving one another and speaking about the kind of people we want to become. And I think God is wanting to focus us and give us direction and almost like an archer with a bow and arrow to point us in a certain direction as a target now and to let the arrow go for us to fulfill the mission that he has got for us. I think that's what God is saying to us at the moment, and that's why we're wanting to do this series. So if you're new to the church, I think you've come at a perfect time to find out a little bit more about who we are, who we're becoming, and where we're going. But I think for all of us, this will shape us together and shape our DNA and shape our gaze so that as we, the church, organized, we'll live this stuff out, but also organically in our lives, in the day-to-day things that we do, the places we go and the people we're among, that we would see these things formed in us and lived out through our lives. But before I get into this, can we just take one step back? I remember about 13 years ago, I walked into a church in Pinetown called Red Point. And I was this 18-year-old guy, and I'd been in church a bit, probably for about six years. And I went into this new community of people, and there were these two big ideas that stood out to me. Two things that I didn't know about church, two things that I didn't know about Christianity, two things which really struck me as I came into this new church. And the first idea was this idea of taking Jesus to the world. It was a new idea to me. And I feel like, I'm sure this isn't true, but I feel like every Sunday, every prayer meeting, every life group, every single thing that I went to with this church, they read the same scripture again and again and again. It was Jesus' great commission out of Matthew 28. And I just want to read it to us this morning. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
And I remember hearing that preached on, explained again and again and again. I remember the different things the church would do so that we could live that stuff out together. And I remember slowly or quickly, I'm not really 100% sure, that got inside my heart. And that changed me. And it changed the way I started to act. And I was at Varsity at that time studying a Bachelor of Social Science in English, Media and Culture. And I remember the way I was at Varsity changed because all of a sudden I was part of this prayer meeting that would meet at 6.45 every morning and we would pray for our campus and we would pray that Jesus would be known by the many different people, the 17,000 people that were at Howard College. And I remember on uh, Thursdays at 12.20 during the lunch break, this group of us would get together and we'd pray and then we'd walk around and we'd go up to complete strangers and we'd tell them about Jesus. It was so awkward. I don't think it was great, but there was probably this passion without wisdom inside of us. Probably sometimes what we did was brilliant. Sometimes it wasn't. We're learning. We're all on a journey. But there was this deep desire in us as a group and there was this deep desire inside of me to know Jesus and to make him known, that people would come to get to know him, Would people would see him for who he really was, that people's lives would be changed in the same way that mine had been. And this wasn't like a heavy burden. I didn't feel shame or guilt about this. I was excited to do this, even though I probably did look like a dork. I remember my one friend, Duncan, who later became a Christian, saying, you guys look like a bunch of crackheads praying out there on the chessboard every morning so early. You guys look strange, you know. But I had this desire in my heart that people would come to know Jesus. And probably every opportunity I got with family and friends, I would probably quite brashly at times tell them about this Jesus because I wanted them to come to know him and begin to follow him too. And I remember somewhere along that journey going to another country for Jesus for the first time. I went on a trip with the church to Lesotho. It was about a seven-hour drive. And I remember being so pumped. I'd never been to Lesotho before. Um, it's a beautiful country, even though um, it's not an amazing tourist destination by any means. But I remember getting to the border and just being so pumped to get into Lesotho and do something for Jesus. And we went through border control and we're in that no man's land between two countries. And I remember driving through and crossing over into Lesotho. And I remember as we went into Maseru that day and went to the place that we were going to be based for the next weekend or whatever it was, just feeling like, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing this thing that Jesus has called me to do. We're in another country for him to make disciples to serve. It was like this profound moment for me. And that was the first big idea that struck me. I drank this Jesus Kool-Aid, you know, in this new church. But the second idea that I learned in this community was that you could know God. And as I said, I've kind of grown up in the church in a way. My parents aren't Christians, but they would take me to church every Christmas and Easter, which was a good thing to do. And I'd been in church. I'd um, joined a church when I was 12, and I'd been there until the age of 18 when I joined Red Point. But it felt like in all of that time, in all of those years, knowing Christian people, going to church, whatever it was, I never knew that you could know God. It was like the secret that guys had kind of tucked under the the rug or something, and that no one had mentioned. I don't know if I just missed it. I don't know if it had been preached on often, but I knew all this stuff about God, but I didn't know that I could know Him. And I came into this community where this was spoken about, that God speaks today, that you can have a relationship with God, that God cares about you and God wants to know you, and that Jesus says that we are His friends. And this stuff was life-changing for me. Like my eyes had opened in this profound way. And while I was learning this teaching about this stuff, I'd come into this new community of people and they were normal young people like me. I thought they were quite cool. They were normal like my friends outside the church, except they loved Jesus. 
And they prayed and they got up early in the morning to read their Bibles and they were committed to the church and they were involved actively and they were serving and they were doing all of this God stuff. And it wasn't that they were doing it because they had to or they felt guilt or shame about it. They weren't doing it to try and make God happy because they felt like God was angry at them. And they weren't doing it to try and twist God's arm because they wanted something from God. That's not what they were doing it because they loved him. They loved him. And I remember looking as an outsider, probably if you're new to this church, I'm sure you look at everything with critical eyes, as I would be, because you're saying, is this real? Is this stuff they're talking about genuine? Do these people believe this? Do they live it out? And that's what I was doing. I was sitting there, I was going, is what they're talking about real? And as I looked at these people and spent time with them over time, I realized this is real and this is radical, and I want to be a part of what these guys have. And this group of people loved Jesus. I remember they would say things like this casually at times, like I felt God say this to me the other day. And for me being kind of new to this whole world, this was revolutionary. You know, this was normal that God had spoken to them or in their prayer time a scripture jumped off the page at them that something had stirred inside of them. But for me, this was new. The thought that God, the living God, the creator of the universe could speak to an ordinary person was a profound and life-changing thing. And even though they were maybe a little bit blase, saying, oh, God said this to me yesterday, God said this to me today, I started, I don't want to say I was a prayer addict, but I was excited to go and pray because I wanted to be with him and know him. If he could speak, I wanted space to be alone with him where he could meet with me and speak to me. I wanted to know God's will for my life. I wanted to know what God was doing. I wanted to hear his voice and I wanted to get alone with him. And in two weeks' time, we're going to talk about this culture of knowing God, because I hope that my experience going into Redpoint Pinetown would be a new person in this church's experience here. But we're going to talk about the prayer and Bible study stuff and the spiritual discipline stuff in two weeks. But I just want to say that we have a dream as a church, that there would be a culture here where we talk about the reality of knowing God in our lives. We're not blasé about it, but even as years go on and this becomes more and more normal to us, there's something of an awe and wonder in our hearts about knowing Jesus and knowing God. And as I've tried to think about these two thoughts and as I've tried to think about who we are and what we're becoming, the dream we have of the future of Redpoint Durban, the vision statement that I've put down to help us to think about this together is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. You'll find that on the flyer that's there, to know Jesus and make Jesus known. And as we dream about who we're becoming and where we're going, that's what we want to see God form inside of us, that heart and that passion and that way of living, to know him and to make him known. So today I want to focus on those two ideas. So firstly, to know Jesus. And I'm sure for every single one of us here today, no matter your background, whether you've grown up in the church or whether this is your first time in a church, that when I talk about knowing God or knowing Jesus, something comes into your mind. We've all got some kind of preconceived notion about what that means. But probably the New Testament's clearest or most often used, most Jesus-y language about knowing God is to follow Jesus. And I want to read that to you out of Mark chapter 1. If you've got a Bible here, you can turn to Mark 1 verse 14, or it'll come up on the screen behind me. But this is a beautiful passage about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to have our lives changed as we follow him. And it says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as we look at that, there is so much in there. You can literally go word for word, idea for idea through that passage, and it's profound. But we get this idea of what it means to follow Jesus or be a Christian in that passage. We see there the call of Jesus to leave everything behind and follow him. This call to repent. This call to um, be transformed by him. And this call to join him in his mission. All of that is in that passage. And lastly, we see their immediate and radical response. They leave everything behind. They leave their jobs, their homes, their family, all to live for this man named Jesus. But... As we read that, not knowing some of the first century context of what is going in there, we can definitely lose some of what Jesus was doing as he called those men to himself and what it means for us to be called to him and to follow him. And it's probably worth us just going back in time to Jesus' day and just looking at this in a new way. So firstly, I think it's worth me saying, discipleship wasn't Jesus' idea. I think I've sometimes thought that at times, that Jesus invented this whole discipleship revolution. But discipleship was actually an ancient idea. So if you come to the New Testament, you see that John the baptizer had his own disciples before Jesus. We see that the Pharisees had a bunch of disciples and the other Jewish leaders. Discipleship was a very common and ordinary, well-known thing in Jesus' day. In fact, the guys that I've been reading say it traces back all the way to Plato and Socrates and Herodotus, these uh, Greek philosophers who would take uh, students to themselves. They would be their master, their teacher, and they would train these younger philosophers in their ways and their teachings. So discipleship wasn't a new thing, and to take a group of disciples to yourself wasn't new. And a disciple really simply is just a learner, a student, an apprentice of a master. And it's important that we understand this, because probably most of us in this room would say, I'm a Christian, you know, that's what I am. But as we go through the scriptures, the word Christian is actually only used three times in the whole of the Bible. You can Google it. You can check me out. I'm not lying to you. Three times in the whole Bible, while the term disciple is used 269 times to describe what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So if you're here in the room today and you call yourself a Christian, if you are following Jesus, you are a disciple of his and I think it's important that we know that because I think sometimes we can have these two categories in our mind. We think of the Christian first and you're like, I'm just this normal garden variety Christian. You know, I do the church thing on Sundays. I, I live a good life, that kind of thing. And then we see the separate category of Christians known as the disciples. And they're like the Navy SEALs for Jesus. You know, they're the radical crack crew. They do the work. They do the things. Why are you laughing at crack crew to me? <laughs> They're this amazing bunch of passionate, radical, sold-out followers. But that kind of division isn't a biblical one. In fact, the only division that we see in the Scriptures is between the crowd and the disciples. There's a whole bunch of people that listen to Jesus speak. There's a whole bunch of people that see Jesus. But the disciples are those that choose to follow Him and say, He is Lord. He is God. He is the one I'm going to give my life to. It's important that we understand discipleship, but let's get into the detail of this for a second. The people who were discipling and had disciples in Jesus' day were the rabbis, and Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. People would call him rabbi. We see it again and again as we go through the scriptures. And these rabbis were a big deal in their day. 
I feel like pastors in South Africa aren't really a big deal. If you're a pastor, people are like, shame. I was actually at an event um, while I was in Joburg the other day. A friend of mine was throwing this um, really fancy thing with all these influences around Joburg for Levi's. And I snuck in because I was his mate and I wanted to hang out with him. And I had this one moment. I was chatting to this really trendy young black guy making the coolest um, clothes and jewelry and stuff. And when he finally asked me what I did, because he wanted to network with me, and I said I'm a pastor, he ducked instantly to go get a drink and got out of there because pastors aren't a big deal in our culture. I mean, he said it nicely, but I mean, as soon as he found out I was unimportant, he was out of there quickly. But our idea of pastors, at least in South Africa, I think maybe in America it's a bit different, but here, and the Jewish idea of what a rabbi was were completely different. These Jewish rabbis were rock stars. Everyone wanted to follow them. Everyone wanted to be chosen to be one of their disciples. So if a rabbi called you and said, follow me, like Jesus did to those guys in Mark 1, you would be so honored. It would be like you had won a scholarship to the best university somewhere in the world that you would choose. You would think, this is the best thing that could possibly happen to me. So there's this Jewish historian named Josephus. We've got a lot of his writings about the day. And he speaks about this discipleship movement going on in the, uh, amongst the Jews back then. And he said that the, the disciples that gathered around the rabbis in the days of Herod looked like an army. There were so many people around them. They looked like this military force. And we've got this account of Gamaliel II. Now, if you know your Bible well, you would know that Paul the Apostle was trained by Gamaliel. He was the top rabbi of his day. Gamaliel II was his grandson. And this historian Josephus says that Gamaliel II had a thousand disciples gathered around him wanting to hear the Torah taught, the Old Testament scriptures taught, and to understand their complexities. A thousand disciples. That's the size of my school when I was at Klufai. A thousand people following you everywhere you go, hanging on your every word, wanting to understand the ways of God better. Must have been a really interesting time to be alive. And this is the context of what happens when Jesus says to these guys, come and follow me. He's calling them into a radical, disciplined, sacrificial, committed way of life as his followers. And for all of those who were chosen as disciples, their goal was to become like their rabbi, to become like their teacher. So maybe as I've kind of painted this picture, you see that this discipleship stuff is serious. What does it mean? What, were, what was expected of these disciples who followed Jesus? I just want to give you four points. The first is they wanted to be with their rabbi, their teacher. Secondly, they wanted to learn their teachings and their ways. Thirdly, they wanted to become like their teacher. And fourthly, they wanted to carry on their work. And that's really important for us. Because when Jesus calls Simon and Andrew to himself, he's calling them to that. And Jesus today is still speaking, and he's still calling us to follow him. He's still calling us into this world of discipleship that he called them into, and it looks like this. So what does this mean for us today? Firstly, when Jesus calls you to be his disciple or to follow you, you're called to be with your rabbi. And this was a common saying back in the day. These rabbis would say, come and follow me. You can imagine this crowd of people around them, all of the smartest, cleverest, most dedicated people. And they would pick the cream of the crop. I mean, if you're going to invest your life into people, pick the right ones, you know. So if you got chosen, you would hear your rabbi say something to you like, come and follow me. And that's what Jesus' disciples did. They gave up home, family, income, certainty, all for the risky life of faith in walking with him in the life that he called them to. 
And this did require commitment and discipline and sacrifice. So they had to count the cost up front. But it was an incredible honor to be chosen to follow your teacher. And today Jesus is making that same call to us. Come and follow me. Secondly, these disciples would learn the teachings and ways of their rabbi. They were committed to this stuff. And I want to just put a thought in front of all of us today. You could be in this room today and you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe what Jesus believes. You believe in Jesus, but you don't believe what he believes. And these disciples would be studying and hanging on the words of their teachers to learn and understand everything that their master knew. And it should be the same for us. And maybe for us, as we read the Bible or someone preaches on a Sunday, we go, I don't like that. I really don't like that teaching. I really don't like that idea. I'm not going to go with it. That is not what a disciple does. A disciple wants to know the teachings and ways of their leader and then follow them. And I want to say that quite importantly because it doesn't make sense if we're following Jesus that we have these different beliefs. We reject the things that he's saying. We want to hang on his every word and we want to know what he's all about. And we see this when Jesus sends his own disciples out to make other disciples in Matthew 28, that passage that I read. Because he says to them, um, teach them, teach those you disciple to obey everything I have commanded you. That was part of his mandate to them. And I did the reading, I did the research for you. Jesus commanded 212 different things to his disciples. So to us, as we teach others and as we learn ourselves, we want to know these 212 things. And we want to start to put them in practice in our lives. And we want to begin to live them out. Because that's what it looks like to obey Jesus' teaching. But there's probably this big question. What happens when our way and the way of Jesus collide? What happens when what we think about something and what he says about something don't fit together? Or what happens when there's this gap between what Jesus teaches and how we live our lives? And really the call here is that we would submit ourselves to him. That we would say, Jesus, we're committed to following you. We thank you for your call and we want to learn and change to do the things you've called us to do. But I think the incredible bonus and advantage we have is we're not on our own. I know some of us in this room try hard to live these things out and we fail again and again and again. But God gives us his spirit to empower us and to help us to live these things out to the glory of God. The third idea as a disciple is that we would become like our rabbi. And one of the things Jesus says to us in Luke 6 verse 40 is that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And you and I, as we seek to know Jesus, will learn his teachings more and more. We'll learn his ways more and more. And we will become more and more like him. And this was Paul's goal with the people that he was discipling and leading. He says in Galatians 4.19, My little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. And that's this goal of Jesus, is to see himself formed inside of us. Our heart, our desires, our thinking, that we would be transformed more and more to become like him. And I want to ask us all today, is that happening in your life? Are you being transformed more and more to become like Jesus? Or are you becoming more and more like something else? And if we are not becoming more like Jesus, it's probably because we're following a different rabbi, because we're living for something different. Something else is teaching us and shaping us. And whatever that is for you, today is a day of decision. Today is a day of choice. Today is a day of challenge about which master you will follow, of which rabbi 
uh, you'll become like. And the fourth and final idea here is that we would carry on the work of our rabbi. Up until this point, I've been talking about the knowing Jesus part of our vision. Now I want to talk about the making Jesus known part. And maybe you remember my opening scripture. I've referenced it a few times already. Just um, after Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, after he was raised from the dead, but before he ascended to heaven, he gave his disciples this command to go and make disciples of all nations. And his command to them was a command to carry on the work that he'd been doing. That's what he was saying. You spent three years with me now. You gave up everything to follow me and learn my ways. Now go out. I'm out of here. Would you go and carry on the things that you've learned to what you've seen in me? Would you do them in Jerusalem and beyond to the ends of the world? And the idea wasn't that they would go out and make disciples of themselves. So the idea isn't that I go out and I say, come and be like me. Come and be like Grant. I want to photocopy myself into you. I want you to learn my ways. The idea of the disciple maker is that we would help people to know Jesus and become his disciples and to follow him. That is the idea of what Jesus is saying here. And for you and I, whether you would label yourself as Christian or disciple, whether you see yourselves as one of those cracked Navy SEAL characters, whether you feel like you're more basic in your faith, Jesus has given us the privilege and the call of going out and doing this stuff. I don't think we should see it as a burden. I think we should see this as an honor that he calls us to join him in the work that he is doing in our world. The idea here is that we as disciples of Jesus are all missionaries in our city. This is the job of every Christian to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. But I think if we can be honest here, I think we probably all find this a bit of a daunting task. So I think as I started speaking and I talked about the knowing Jesus, but all of us are like, that sounds amazing, Grant. I know tomorrow morning I'm going to set my alarm, whatever time works for you. I'm going to get up, I'm going to make some brilliant tea or coffee. I'm going to sit on my couch with my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to let him speak to me. I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to carry it on. I'm going to speak to him about the day and the week. I'm going to pray about the things that are worrying me. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill me and empower me and help me in all of these things. Even in the office, I'm probably going to do this. I want to try and be close with him. I want to fellowship with him. I want to walk with him. That's what I'm aiming to do. But then we get to the second part. And the second part is a little bit more daunting and intimidating. The making Jesus part of speaking to other people about him and calling them to come and follow him is something that overwhelms us a bit. And I'm sure there's people in this room who people have tried to evangelize you and it's been horrible. They've done a terrible job of it. They've hurt you. They've offended you. I know that's happened to me. I'm sure there's people here in this room who, like me, have been passionate but unwise in the ways that you've tried to speak to people about Jesus. I'm sure you feel like you've failed at times or someone has been smarter than you. Someone has really whipped you in an argument and you feel like a moron after you try and tell them about Jesus. I understand all of that stuff. I understand that at times we can feel helpless and powerless as we try and do this thing that Jesus has called us to do. But I want to encourage you that Jesus doesn't just send us out and say, I'm out of here and leave us to do this work in our own strength. But he promises to help us with the job that he's given us. And in John 16 verse 7, we read, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And the Holy Spirit in this context is Jesus with us as we drive in the car, as we sit at work, as we spend time with people, as we don't know what to say. 
Jesus gives us a helper for when we feel helpless, when we don't know what to say or do in this big mission of making Jesus known. We are given a helper to help us, someone we can lean on, someone we can pray to, someone we can say, please, I don't know what to do. Jesus has not left us alone. He goes with us everywhere we go to do the things that he's called us to do. Maybe some of you in the room are feeling powerless today. You feel like, okay, I get that. Jesus is with me. That's great. But whenever I've tried this before, I feel weak and useless. I don't have what it takes. I'm not good at that. I'll do the pouring tea thing at church, but I'm not going to do this thing because this is too much. But Jesus speaks again in Acts 1 verse 8. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And I want to encourage you today. If you feel helpless or you feel powerless, Jesus wants to help and empower you to know him and to live the task that he's called us to live in this world. We are never on our own. He wants to go with us until the end of this age. And as we leave here today, as we get into our cars, I think it would be so good that we say, Holy Spirit, would you help me and would you empower me? Would you be with me and would you create opportunities for me to do this stuff that Grant is talking about and that you've emphasized so much that I see all over the scriptures? Would you help me and empower me? Because it feels too much for me. I just want to end this morning with two stories about people from this church who are already living this out. And I want to encourage us today and I want to set vision for this stuff. But I want to say Red Point Durban, in so many ways we're already doing these things. And I wanted to just share two stories that I've heard this week. These are new stories from the last week. These aren't our old stories from years ago because I think us preachers really do enjoy sharing the best stories that we've got to try and razzle-dazzle you all. But these are two stories that I heard in the last week of people from our church who God is using for His purposes. And the first one's a story of Candace Green. Nate and Candace are actually away this weekend, but Candace said I could share this. And on her birthday this week, actually both of these people had their birthday this week, so maybe it was a little birthday blessing from Jesus. But um, I was chatting to Cairns, and she just told me about this great moment she had in the hospital. She um, was working with a lady who was really sick with AIDS and TB. Her lungs were starting to fill with fluid. Her thighs were swollen. She couldn't walk. She was struggling to breathe and speak. And Cairns just had this huge heart for this lady and just said, can I just pray for you? And she found out this lady was a Christian and she prayed for her and she encouraged her and she had to carry on with her work. But the next day when she got to the hospital, she rushed to see this lady. This lady has two kids and is on her own. So if this lady dies, these kids are kind of deserted, you know. And Cairns was feeling really overwhelmed by this reality and gets to the bed and the bed is empty, but all of her stuff is there. So Cairns is thinking to herself, this lady isn't dead, but where is she, you know? And then she bumps into the lady who's been walking around and speaking in the hospital. And this lady says to her, Candace, you know what? Last night while I was sleeping in bed, Jesus spoke to me. And he said to me that there are many people in this hospital who are dying who do not know me. You must tell them about me. And it's this amazing story. She wakes up in the morning, able to walk and able to speak. And Candace, when she arrives, bumps into one of the doctors who says to her, oh, you want to speak to that lady? Why? Is she trying to pray for you? You know, she was a bit irritated because this lady had been going to everyone to pray for them and to tell them about Jesus. I think just before Candace moved on to carry on with her day, this lady looked Candace in the eyes and said, Candace, we need to tell people about Jesus. <laughs> and Candace, who'd encouraged this lady, thinks, okay, I'll do it. I'm sorry, I'm, I might not do as well as you, but I'll do I'll do it. I'll do it. Isn't that an amazing story? 
The other story I think is so cool is the story of Eugene Schlorpe. Also on his birthday this week, I found this out. And Eugene was at DUT where he studies. He's an artist. He's a sculptor. So I don't know what he was actually doing in the room, probably making something fancy or sketching or painting, whatever he was doing. But he's sitting with his earphones in his ears, and he's doing his work. And a friend walks up to him and says, what are you listening to? Now, Eugene, being the good Christian that he was, was actually listening to a sermon from church. So it was a great conversation starter for this guy. He said, I'm listening to this. And the guy asked him what he was listening to, and Eugene told him. And this guy started to ask Eugene questions, questions about eternity, questions about joy. And Eugene would answer his questions and spoke to the guy about the joy that he had found in Jesus after exploring other things. And after a bit of a back-and-forth conversation, Eugene said, this guy spoke to him and said, you know what? God has been pursuing me. I've been running away from God, but I know that God has been after me for a while. And Eugene spoke to him a little bit more about Jesus, spoke to him a little bit more about the cross and how God had made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and washed clean, how Jesus had made this way that we could know God and could live for God in this world, how this guy who'd been running from God could find that joy that Eugene had found in him and could find a new sense of meaning and purpose and identity inside of Jesus in this life. And there in DUT, in I guess one of the art departments, Eugene prayed for this guy and helped this guy to cross the line of faith and begin the journey of following Jesus as his disciple. I just thought, like, I heard those two stories this week and I was so encouraged because this mission, this call of Jesus to know him and make him known is daunting in some ways for all of us. But I love that in little ways God is using us to fulfill this in the city of Durban and beyond. And I want to just encourage us, Red Point Durban, as we leave here today, this is what we're called to do. This is our vision as a church. This is what we're living for. This is what we're doing. This is what we're becoming. This is where we're going. And in so many ways, we're already there. But I want to pray for us. Maybe we can stand together and trust that Jesus would lead us into this more and more and more. If the band could come up, we're going to pray and then we'll worship together. I think this message today is a personal message. You know, we want to respond together as a church to all of these things. But I think individually, maybe God has highlighted something to you, is speaking to you about something. And this is a moment where you can respond to what God has highlighted. So I just thought, just to go through it one more time, maybe we can close our eyes. When Jesus calls us to follow him and to be his disciples, he calls us to be with him. He calls us to learn his teachings and his ways. He calls us to become like Him, and He calls us to go and do what He did. And I just thought for the people in this room who would call themselves Christians today, maybe one of those areas is an area where you feel particularly weak. Maybe you feel like you're failing at that area, or actually you feel, you know what, you've been following another rabbi, you've been living for something else, you've been going in a different direction. And today you want to repent, and today you want to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to do this thing. I want to know you and make you known. I thought maybe there's another group of Christians here today where you feel actually I need the help and the power of the Holy Spirit to do this thing. I can't do this on my own. I, I know my weakness. I know my need for help. God, I need you. I want to pray that God would meet us and help us to live this stuff out. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place and I pray you would come upon us as your church. I pray for those who are repenting now and turning back to you, that you would help them, encourage them, comfort them, fill them with your peace, Lord. And for those of us who feel so weak and that we need help and we need power, I pray that you would do it now. 
Fill us, Holy Spirit. And I pray this week for opportunities that we can make you known to the city around us, to the people that we so love around us who are desperate to see you come to know you. And maybe just one more thing. If you're here today and you walked in here and you wouldn't have called yourself a Christian this morning, or you walked in here and you realize, actually, I'm not. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not his disciple. I'm not those things. And you want to ask God to forgive you of your sin and to become one of his disciples. I just thought it'd be so wonderful just to raise your hands in some way as a sign of surrender and yieldedness to God. And just to pray and ask God to forgive you of your sin. Ask God to wash you clean and say to Jesus, I want to begin this journey of following you. I want to live for you. I want to know you. I want to make you known. I want to do this stuff. So if that's you, I want to just pray and give you the words to maybe pray your own prayer to him. But Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to wash me clean. I ask you to bring me into your family. And I want to begin this journey of following you. Would you accept me and bring me in, I pray. Amen.